The following is a Sports Ethos presentation. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Round Ball Ramble. I am your host, Corbin Forge. You can follow me on Twitter, at CorbinNBA. Sports Ethos presentation, like I always say, so check out Sports Ethos on Twitter, at Sports Ethos, S-P-O-R-T-S-E-T-H-O-S, online, sportsethos.com. Pretty simple. Basketball, football, baseball, fantasy, all of that, you want it, they have it there. So check them out. On Twitter at Sports Ethos. Listen, y'all, I am really, really excited. We have a big guest. Usually I'm just used to hearing me or some friends of mine. Love all of them. But today we got an actual NBA draft expert, NBA exec, uh, a person I've been fortunate to have met, um, director of scouting with Sports Business Classroom, former front office executive with the New Orleans Pelicans. We have Dan Purcell on. You can find him on Twitter at I am underscore Dan P. Dan, how are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I was laughing, bring, bring you on. I was talking just beforehand about having heard you on pod before and fortunate to have, um, been at sports business classroom, which we'll get to a minute and, um, you know, getting to we'll meet you and everyone else there kind of firsthand. But to start off with, we have a good conversation here. Um, you know, obviously working with SBC, having experience in the NBA front office, uh, can you kind of describe, I guess your basketball journey up to this point, I mean, you're still actively, you know, helping people like myself and also, you know, continuing to give insight from a front office perspective. But I know I'm always interested in hearing the stories of others, um, especially those who have reached, in my mind, the highest level, like actually working with the NBA. So I'm curious just to how you kind of got to where you are. Uh, yeah, I mean, so uh, long story, I'll try to condense. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm originally, originally from Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, I, I played basketball in college at Lake Erie College, which is a D2 school up okay. uh, east of Cleveland. And um, after I graduated, we were pretty successful there. And after I graduated, I wanted to keep just, you know, being involved with basketball. I always thought that, um, you know, my goal, I, have a, I can be very stubborn sometimes in my decision making. <laughs> and um, I decided that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to work in the NBA. I wanted to compete against my peers. I wanted to compete against teams. I wanted to be a part of winning um, and winning big and winning championships. And that's always, I, I don't know that will ever not be a goal of mine, <laughs> but it was the, at the time, you know, I didn't have kids or anything like that. So it was a sole focus for me. And um, I, I didn't really, um, um, I, I had no MBA connections whatsoever. Um, my my dad was a teacher and insurance salesman, and my mom was an insurance salesman. Wow! And uh, you know, and my sister Colleen, she she drives. She's been driving a school bus for um, you know twenty five years. So n- there was no there were no MBA ties in my family. Um, so I I said you know I got to figure out a way, mm-hmm. and. Um, so I started uh, working uh, at the time, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers camps, which were like summer camps. They were run by the National Basketball Academy at the time. 
And um, I, I did those and uh, I got to know people. We did, and they, they would have player camps, but uh, you know, like Larry Hughes and people, Danielle Marshall, you know, all the Cleveland uh, type, uh, you know, the Cleveland players that, you know, would sign up for, you know, for doing camps and whatnot. But I think more importantly, I got to meet some of the people in the Cavs. Uh, you know, I got to meet their front office operations. I got to meet some of their coaching staff. I got to meet their business side operations as well. People that were, that were in tickets and marketing um, promotions, you know, you really got, you started that I started my network really um, with, you know, announcers, uh, Ahmed, who does, um, I don't know if anybody's been to a Cavs game, but, you know, Ahmed does intros and whatnot, or, you know, he does a lot of the, you know, the, um, the mic signals and whatnot. And uh, I actually just got to know him well. Um, and then I just built it out from there. Met Moondog, great guy, you know, and just built it out from there. And then obviously started talking to agents, started dealing with players more, and then started dealing with coaches. And then the, co- the coaches and the front office guys would have their kids come to our stuff. And, you know, it just starts building from there. So um, wow. my journey started, yeah, yeah, my journey started there. And then obviously I coached AAU uh, for a good five, six years. And then um, total, I moved to New Orleans oh, wow. in, geez, 2009, okay. opened a branch of the National Basketball Academy here or here in New Orleans. And um, it just really started working there. And the coolest thing was I actually, my office, uh, Matt Biggers was the guy uh, who signed us and uh, he was at the vice president of marketing, I believe for the then Hornets. Great, great guy. Oh, wow. And, and so he actually put our offices in, in, uh, in their offices, in, in the Hornets offices. So boom, all of a sudden here I am, I am sitting next to uh, Devin Johnson, who is now the assistant coach over or associate head coach, I should say now at Texas A&M. Oh, wow. Um, Eddie Johnson, who's his cousin, who I'm very good friends with now. Um, and then Shelly Cayette as well, who is now, I believe she is CEO or C, I think she's CFO of the Cavs. Um, okay. uh, yeah. So Shelly, and then working with Shelly as well. And then, you know, just working with all these people that are super talented and super awesome people. And, and uh, ultimately my big breakdown there was I uh, coach Monty. Uh, Williams agreed to do a summer, agreed to do a summer camp. And, um, and uh, he, they let me be in charge of it in terms of in charge, like organizing, and making sure the kids were there and, you know, all the, all the backend stuff and just making sure we're on schedule and we're doing things. And um, it took, it took uh, a little, a few, a few, an hour or two to get for Monty and I to get on the same page, but then we did. And it was beautiful. Like it was um, so awesome working with him and, uh, you know, be able to work for him in this case, where it's, you know, it's his camp and it's his, uh, you know, it's his likeness. And, you know, we got to do that for two years. So, and then just built it out from there. And then ultimately um, I asked Bryson Graham, who was the video coordinator at the time for the Hornets. Mm-hmm. Um, he is now the assistant general manager in new Orleans. Wow. And um, Bryson, uh, you know, I just approached him and said, Hey, you know, I'd like to help. I just, I just want to help. I don't, I don't want money. I don't want anything. I just want, I want to learn. I want to do, I want to be, you know, Yeah. and he was, and he was gracious enough to um, say, yeah, you know, let's, let's get you in. And so I was doing the night shift from 
you know, eight, 9 PM, whichever, whenever those West coast games started <laughs> and um, be in there till one, two, 3 AM, you know, cutting film and making sure it was ready for him. And uh, you know, the, the, some of the other video guys that were in there and just starting from scratch. And uh, it came from a place of, I, th- I think, I think Bryson was so um, just gracious with me. Cause I think he knew it came from a place of purity. Like I really just wanted to learn. Like I wanted to be in there and I wanted to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I think coach Mott and I think Dell, uh, Dell Dems took, took notice of it. And uh, ultimately I, you know, I got offered a job in the front office and of course I took it and uh, I say the rest is history pretty much. But um, I was in new Orleans for, I think it was 10 seasons total, nine seasons total, somewhere in wow. there. Wow, almost a de- decade, then, really, yeah. A long time. Big chunk of my life, which was great. <laughs> it was the best thing ever. It was the best thing ever happened to me up to that point. And, um, and then after, um, after my tenure was over there, I, I, I had always, um, I learned the CBA from Larry Kuhn. If anybody doesn't know who Larry Kuhn is, you obviously don't study the CBA. <laughs> um, For sure. But I learned, I learned the CBA from Larry, Larry's FAQ page. And I went to his deep dive in 2017 or 18, okay. 17. And um, I think it was 18. And uh, I went to his salary cap deep dive and learned more than, you know, than I had known before. And it was good, to, you know, it was good to be there. But um, just started having a friendship with Larry and, and Dave DeFore. Um who helps organize a lot of this stuff for Larry. And, uh, and then obviously, you know, Albert Hall, who, who runs summer league with Warren Legary. I mean, both those guys have been Warren and uh, Albert have been great to me and letting me talk draft and talk what I love and, you know, being a real big support system. And I appreciate them for that. It's been uh, fun, but I guess it goes back to, you know, purpose, right? What's my purpose. And, you know, if I'm, yeah. not actively in it. I want to pass my knowledge on to the next group of people who are probably smarter than me. And that's where a sports business classroom comes in. And I think, like I said, I think it's partly because of my dad, my dad was a teacher and I always loved teaching when I coached AAU. That was why I did it. I just love the teaching aspect and, um, and the competing, obviously you want to compete and win and develop. And, um, but it's just a way for me to, to pass what I know on. Um, and it's hopefully it can help. I mean, obviously we've had people that, like you, you start your own thing or mm-hmm. um, the no trade clause guys, or, you know, yes. there's, there's people that are, have jobs in the NBA right now that were in sports business classroom, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, or they're in, or they're in the media, which they wanted to be in. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been a really cool transition as of now. And, uh, you know, it's a long-winded answer, but, uh, you know, I really, I really am thankful for where I'm at. Oh, no, I appreciate it. I mean, just learning, like you said, from someone who said, I have a goal. And I, I kind of feel like I relate to not maybe working in the NBA front office, but having like no ties. It's just me and this one plan that I want to get to. And like, how can I get from point A to point, you know, point C, point D? Um, And you just kept grinding and trying to, like, you made your own opportunities in a way from like, you know, just working and make yourself available, but also being able to meet people and kind of go from there and, yeah, that feels like the perfect kind of segue. You went into it yourself in the sports business classroom. And uh, I mean, I've recent alum, um, I did the virtual one before that and just know several friends of mine um, for years who, you know, had went there and, and just told me how good it was. Simon Sheridan Gordon, good friend of mine, others who had, you know, experienced the program and were like, hey, like, this is kind of where you want to go. And I had my first 
actual physical experience they last year, and it was amazing. I mean, um, it's funny that you're on, because one, one of the points that stuck out to me, I had just a blast of a time, it really just kind of flew, but I will not forget, um, I was, we were, I was a member of the, there's one, listeners, yeah, I've already talked about this before, but there's one segment of SBC where it's kind of your, like, main goal, or it's kind of the big, I, I, I'm not going to be a good, per, I'm not the best person describing it. It's like the, the main event is how I looked at it. And you are grouped with a few other colleagues and you manage a team and you are going to go through um, a mock off season, mock trade deadline, one of those activities. Um, and you're going to coordinate it all from like, in terms of, okay, here's our targets to go after the trade. Here's our team direction. Here's what we're trying to do. You're going to have a media person that's going to be able to spin it a certain type of way. It's really immersive, really cool. Um, but doing the virtual side in 2020, we had kind of gotten a full experience, but there was something different in this past year where we did like a, you kind of met your goals, this is what we want to do, and then we had a chance to like submit those or, or to like voice those out to a panel of judges and get some feedback from it. And I will not forget, um, we were the Thunder, and it was you, I think it was, it was um, Dave, Seth Partner. Seth Partner, yes. And yeah. y'all, oh my gosh, like y'all gave some very, um, <laughs> some very um, direct interaction feedback in a way that I wasn't expecting, but like afterwards, like grew to love because I was like, wow, like this is maybe the type of feedback I would get. I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. You know, we're the Thunder, we're trying to rebuild, like we're going to try to go for all the draft picks, you know, the company line. And mm-hmm. the way that y'all um, had kind of dis- d- expressed it to us was, hey, why can't you not think a certain type of way? Like, what if this happens? What if that happens? And I had no answers for you. I kind of stammered my way through it. I was like, um, <laughs> good point. We'll think about it. But like that for me was like one of the big things I pulled away from because it, it, it forced me to think about asking in a different type of way than maybe I had been used to um, with executives and people around basketball who had been there and could personally attest to, hey, it's not always going to go how, you know, armchair GM might imagine it. Yeah, I, I th- yeah the the whole point of that, and that was the halfway point. We were at a certain yeah. point, and we 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 kind of grill you guys a little bit. But the <laughs> point of that exercise is to, um, it's kind of like you're arguing your thesis, right? You have a thesis plan. You want to do this. This is your goal, right? And now you're taking the next next step of of arguing why you're there where you're going and how you're doing it. Right. And, you know, our goal with that is to make it direct, but not again, not in a disrespectful way. Not at all. Yeah, not at all. Just direct. What we try to do is we try to make you think different because in the NBA, my experience, it's been, um, if you're the same way every single time, other GMs, other front offices, they, you, they start to see your pattern and they can start predicting you. And they can start to see your patterns and they can start to say, well, if we do this, we can push this button and maybe get this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we were trying to do is just to make you think, have a different perspective, because as a as a, a decision maker, you need to have 30 different perspectives because there's or 29. Well, 30, if you include your team, mm-hmm. 30 other different perspectives of how this looks to them right and you and you have to be able to process that information within you know 30 seconds or else you you might lose you might lose your next deal you know wow yeah yeah that's crazy and you and it's true and it's one thing that i think you 
you not only explained um, with everyone else in the midst of that practicum, but also, I mean, I took, in my major was scouting, so learning from you, learning from Dave Dufour, um, I made a joke uh, just this past week, I watched more Obi Toppin um, in that one week <laughs> than I've watched in the whole season after, just because, you know, how, like, we were, okay, this is what a scouting report looks like, and you had, yeah. um, you know, people from, I know there was a member, I think his name was Dave as well, um, from the Clippers, if I remember correctly. Um, I might, okay, yep. there. Yeah. And so like learning from people in the actual industry, it was a whole different look that completely changed my outlook on, okay, getting into the career and coming out and not from like a super fan perspective, because at, at our heart, we all are fans, but also like, okay, this is the work, this is the grind. This is the type of mental, uh, not only fortitude to continue to get to this level, but also like actual knowledge. Like you said, you're being taught kind of what to look at, what to look for, how to evaluate, uh, forget the cab. That's a whole nother lesson. I'm still trying to get my head around. So <laughs> it, I just, it was an amazing experience. And, um, I think they're kind of rapid. We're getting close to the end now on that. I know it starts July 7th to the 12th. Is that correct? Or 10th to the 15th? No, the 10th through the 15th this year. 10th through the 15th at summer league. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's July 10th through 15th, totally immersive. Um, you know, and that's, that was, I was kind of getting into was about kind of having to do all that on my own, all mm-hmm. this networking on my own, all this stuff on my own. And it took years, like it, uh, years of doing this and just staying diligent, right. Yeah. Just staying on course and not going and deciding to, and maybe I'm boring, but deciding not to go out Friday and Saturday night, but, stay in and try to figure out who's playing where but not just that who's there who's gonna go who's Mm. this player's mom who's this player's cousin it does this player have a brother or sister where are they playing at you know what i mean like it's a whole i i for me i spent years instead of going out and drinking and i guess being more social you know not really (laughs) it's not really my scene to begin with but Mm-hmm. I mean, I could have just gone out there and wasted in my t- in what I thought was wasting time. And, um, you know, for me, I was trying to figure it out. And when I wasn't trying to figure it out, I was watching more basketball. And then when I wasn't watching more basketball, I was trying to figure it out more. And when wow. I wasn't, <laughs> and then that cycle just keeps, you have to be obsessed with it, you know? Yeah. And that's, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was, an, it's an obsession. You know, I'm, I was obsessively going into this thing saying, I am going to get there. I have to figure out a way. I've got to figure out a way. And, you know, when I get there, I'll figure out some more stuff, but I got to figure out this right now. But then once I started to get my feet wet, I had to like say, okay, when I get there, what do I do? You know what I mean? When I get to this spot, where do I go? What do I do? So um, that being said, like for sports business classroom, like I wish I wish I would have had that, you know, mm-hmm. I would have paid anything I would have paid. I would have put it on that. And this is me because I'm obsessed. Right. <laughs> At this point, I would have done anything. I would have found a way to get to Vegas. I found a way to get to where, um, you know, where we need to go. Yeah. And um, that's what SBC does now. And it gives people an opportunity to come literally five days. We have I, I think uh, Jerry West. Um, is. Uh, is, yeah, I think Jerry West is now on the docket as well, so you can add him. I mean, in the past, we've had Mark Cuban and Tommy Shepard, you know, the VP of the Wizards, like Kiki Vandaway, who's, yes. uh, you know, I mean, we've had everybody, and we're still going to continue to bring a bunch of people, obviously, but that's not really the, that's not really the thing. The shtick is 
that you're at summer league and you're getting reps and you're actually going to be doing, and yes, you get to meet some great people and it's definitely a perk. And I think it's like one of the best things you can do, but you're going to be able to sit in the stands where, you know, the NBA scouts are, you're going to be able to talk to these people. You're going to be able to see what's going on. So I just think the program is so awesome. There's just nothing else like it. No, I completely agree with you. I, I definitely didn't. Like you said, someone who's been there as well, yeah, everything he said, just he said it better. So definitely make sure to check out Sports Business Classroom. Um, I would even try to tune in still now. Even though it's getting close, um, check it out. If, if you're not even able to get in this year, hey, save up. Be even more ready for next year. It's an amazing experience. Someone who, I mean, I finally got in last year. I've been trying for like three years before that and just kind of trying to stay after it. So having done it, it's it's just an amazing experience. Sportsmensclassroom.com. Get right there on the website far right you'll see register business basketball sign up just stay tuned y'all it's an amazing experience uh you really will learn from the best and be at the mecca uh for fans like ourselves so definitely make sure to do that um sportsbusinessclassroom.com uh dan this has been just great alone just hearing how you've gotten where you are but i want to take this expertise now that you know i have access to it and, and try to apply it more to this draft class um and Finally, good <laughs> stuff. All right. This is there we good go. Stuff. Yes, sir. I'm here for the popcorn. I appreciate it. <laughs> and so we got this 2020 draft class, and this is honestly the first draft class I've actually, like, started early. Usually I come into the draft, like, I guess most NBA fans do, right after, you know, middle of the playoffs, just before draft lottery. Okay, who are we looking at? This is the first year that I started looking at them um, from the end of last year. And so – I have some thoughts, but getting it from your perspective, just looking at the draft class as a whole, what are your thoughts on it? How do you think it compares to, you know, maybe last year with Kate Cunningham or even the year before um, in the 2020 draft class? I think this, I think this draft is a little deeper in terms of talent. Mm. Um, I think deeper as in, I just think as you get further down in the first round, you're still going to get a guy who may be a starter key reserve. Okay. Whereas before, whereas last year, it was a pretty significant drop off, um, especially outside the lottery, in my opinion. Uh, you, there was definitely a different bucket that started, right? Mm-hmm. So for me this year, I, 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 there's, I don't think there's a Kevin Garnett in this class. I don't, I don't think there's you know, a Tim Duncan, a guy who's number one, and he's going to be a future Hall of Famer, top 75 player. I don't know that that's in this draft. I do know that there's three really good players at the top and they're all going to be core players moving forward. And, um, but they also all have their limitations, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a, um, it'll be an interesting draft to say the least, but overall, I think you can find some really, you can keep getting starter key reserves all the way down into twenties this year and possibly even, um, you know, uh, into the end of the first round. Oh, wow. Okay, definitely. And I, I like the fact that you said that from looking at it past the 20s, okay, there's still going to be players who are, you know, going to be able to play a, a role. I was looking at last year's draft, and I'm, again, this difference of me not knowing as much. I was like, wow, okay, like, you had a few stars. It was kind of starting at the top last year. And I saw there was a few, like you said, that, you know, seventh, ninth, a few players that have some potential but maybe did not contribute as much this season. Whereas with this draft class, maybe it's not – as big in terms of all that one must grab guy. But like you said, there are players, you know, that can provide value in, in, in later um, selections. And I guess actually brings me to the top three because I'm personally not as high 
I, I have one guy I really do like, but I'm not as high on these top three in terms of like franchise changing players as I was, you know, maybe last year, I was really high on Anthony Edwards um, or other players, you know, in years past Um, to you, uh, you already kind of said this class does go deeper, but does it go deeper to you in a uh, potential of NBA stars or is it really more of the top three is probably where you're going to find that, that player? No, I think you can find an NBA star in the top, probably 10, um, top 12 for, I mean, I think you're going to find multiple ones in this draft. I mean, after the top three, mm-hmm. I think there's a, there's a possibility for about four guys to be future all-stars. Like, there's, there's just some really good players. Like, and I'm not, I'm not going to say they're going to be 18 time all-stars. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that it could be an all-star two throughout their career, maybe three, uh, maybe an all NBA, you know, third team, second team, first team, if they have a good year. So I think that's, a, that's definitely a possibility. Okay. Definitely. Wow. And I guess I'm kind of going with that um, with players and, and team needs. And this is something just a personal philosophy question. I'm curious about always like to ask, you know, execs or, or people in this situation, uh, what is your personal philosophy of best player available versus team needs? And how would you apply that to this specific draft class? I mean, you could, for example, let's say Orlando, you know, like they obviously need a big, uh, they obviously have a type, but like, do you get the best of that? Do you get like, okay, we need shooting. Um, kind of how do you like to look at a team in terms of where they're picking a player and how you choose to evaluate, you know, who would be the ve- best pick for that team? Yeah, for me. So for me, I am more of I like the Bill Belichick thought process of take the best player that's available. But there is a cat. There's a couple caveats to that. One, if you already have LeBron James, you don't need to draft and you're picking five. Mm-hmm. You don't need to draft another small forward ball handling or a ball handling guard. You know what I mean? Yeah. So th- there's there's repetition, but also it's like you have to look at it pragmatically. If I get a, if I take a guy here and he's the same position or the same type of player as my best player, there aren't going to be enough minutes for him to develop, right? Yeah. So unless I'm planning on trading X player, then that opens up a different can of worms. But we'll just say that that player is under contract. Why It's going to be really hard for that young player to develop because he's going to have to develop outside of his strengths. And then on top of it, he's going to have limited minutes while doing that. And especially the higher you go in the draft, you don't want to you want to start complimenting your best players, right? Or building a core if you don't mm-hmm. have one. So, you know, if I'm if I'm sitting at one, I'm gonna feel pretty good taking Jabari. You know, I'm just, <laughs> I think Jabari's or Chet. I, I'm gonna I'm be pretty comfortable. But at four, I'm sack. I'm already at a glutted guard. Am I really going to be comfortable taking Jade Nivey and trying to see if it fits between Fox? Mitchell, I think Mitchell can play with anybody, but is it going to fit between Fox and Ivy? Because they both need the ball to be successful, right? Yeah. So, but if you already have De'Aaron Fox and you're going to ride with Fox, then it's going to be really hard to take Ivy because you're not going to have the minutes or he's going to have to play a role or he's going to have to play off position and then you're not maximizing his talents. You might as well just take in Keegan Murray instead. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Or or taking Ben Matherin or I'm not even Ben Matherin, but, uh, you know, taking Keegan Murray or trade it down to get A.J. Griffin or trade mm-hmm. it down to get Dyson Daniels. Like, you know, you might as well have just done that. So there's to me, if I'm if I'm unsure, I'm going to rely on my list. You know, the list that our team has, comp- you know, has put on a big board and we'll go right down that list. But if it comes down to that list and the next player on that list is where we're picking and he's our best, he's in direct competition with our best player and or the guy that we're committed to, 
then I'm probably either going to try to get off of it or I'm going to try to, or I'm going to take a guy that is going to, the next guy down on our list. Got you. Okay. So if it's like, for the most part, you are going to get the best player. You unless, yeah. You got to have that. Unless there's not a spot clear yeah. for that person. I get you have it. to have minutes. Yeah. Why? If you're picking this high in the draft, most times you don't have a star. Not everybody's golden state, but even golden state, they picked Wiseman. They're like, well, you know what? We, we just need bigs. Like our guards are the best guards in the world. And <laughs> our power forward is the best power forward in the world. And I mean, we need role players, but we really need rebounding and bigs. And man, if we can pick up a second pick in the draft, I mean, we don't actually like need him. Yeah. We got Looney, but we don't need him. But you know what? We're two. We're picking. Michael <laughs> take the guy that's going to – that we have where we can allot minutes to, you know, allot sense. minutes to his development. And, you know, people are – obviously, they won the title, but some people are looking at it like, man, they just wasted this number two pick on this guy. Well, who else were you going to waste it on? I understand other guys were better, but what are they going to do? Play over Steph? They're yeah. going to get shots over, over Clay. They're going to take possessions away from Draymond handling the ball. Like, what do you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Sense. No, you're right. It doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense. And Jordan Poole, too, like you said. So you're right. That Jordan sure, Poole's already Jordan there. Poole. So, yeah. You're, yeah. That's, yeah. That's actually a really, again, a holistic view of it. Like, hey, you know, you could easily go for LaMelo, Anthony Edwards. Where are they playing? Because as good as those guys are, they're not starting over, you know, the backcourt you have. They're fighting with, you know, a Poole or a Clay. Yeah. It's still, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot you're of sense. You're fighting to be the fourth wheel. On, I'm, I'm just using Wiseman as an example. Mm-hmm. But you're playing. You're, you're drafting to be the fourth best player on the team. That's what you're drafting in that position, saying, can this guy be the fourth best player at that time? You know, at the time when they drafted, they're like, okay, can he be our fourth best player? Yeah, he could probably be. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take him. He's got upside. He's big. He's got a lot of talent. He wants to work. Sure. Okay. There it is. I'm, uh, see, I'm glad. Thank you. That was a perfect example of, like, <laughs> taking that – the best player available versus team needs and actually putting it into like an example that we can easily call to mind because you're right. I spend way too much time on Twitter, Dan. Uh, I see the arguments there and it's like, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, well, they could have done it with X, Y, Z. And normally I'm, I don't tune. I'm, I don't have the, the bandwidth to actually participate in them, but I do read them. And so there, there's the actual like Bender done that. Let's not waste any more time on like, you know, litigating all of this and, and just putting it where it needs to be. So I definitely uh, appreciate that insight there. Uh, kind of taking that best player available, and let's try to figure this out. Um, you have it's it's a big three has been talked about, big three plus number four. If you take in how you feel about Jaden Ivey, but you have Jabari Smith Jr., uh, sweet shooting big man from Auburn. You have Paula Bancaro, kind of the do it all guy from Duke. Um, then Chet Holmgren, who's been rightfully, in my opinion, called the unicorn because I really don't have a comp or anything for him. Uh, how do you personally rank? these big three i i think i kind of did it in my question to you like right now um and how i laid them out but i'm curious as to um how you have these three ranked personally on your on your personal board so my latest mock uh you guys can see it at i am underscore dampy mm-hmm. also i believe at uh on no trade clause.com you guys can see it but um for me i have jabari at one i have chet at two apollo at three um and it's more so Looking at it, I'm trying to be – I had Chet there because I think you can flop one or two pretty easy. Those guys are pretty – they have their strengths. They have their weaknesses, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I think the problem is with Orlando that I have a problem with is they were one of the worst shooting – three-point shooting teams in the league yeah. last year. And it's been historically an issue for them has been three-point shooting, right, over mm-hmm. the last you know four, four or five years. Yeah. So – 
when you're six nine, six ten, pick and pop big, your worst case scenario, right? I mean, am I? I always try to go worst case scenario. So if this guy fails, he is this player, right? To me, his Jabari's worst worst scenario is Channing Fry, right? Can't move his feet, can't dribble, but once twice, but shoots the, the heck out of it, and is a really, really just really good NBA player who plays for twelve years, right? So that's mm-hmm. his. To me, that's kind of his floor. And if that's your floor, that's pretty good. That's that's a pretty good floor to be at. It's way better than saying maybe Brian Anderson or you know somebody like that. Oh yeah. And um, so for me, I I think Jabari does three things for them. It gives them more size. It gives them more length. Um, He's not a great defender, obviously, and he doesn't have the greatest speed. But I think playing in the NBA will speed him up, and it'll make him better. And then then of course. The whole strength and conditioning in the NBA is way different than college just because the amount of time you're allowed to have, right? It's just time. It's not that these guys know more or know less. Mm-hmm. It's just time that you're allowed. And um, so I think with that, and I think with the need that they have at, at shooting, and they have guards, they have good, they have guards that penetrate and kick guards that need, but they need spacers and pick and roll partners. And I just think that um, he fits what they need at this moment so he fits a need but also he's probably the best player overall in the draft right just from a skill standpoint and um i mean he his shooting is so elite it puts him up and over everybody else oh yeah no i completely agree i'm very high on jabari smith jr i think that you said it's not even just the shooting it's the shooting and the size the fact that defensively he is versatile to be able to kind of cover um certain positions and yeah well he does I think okay of, he does okay in that he does good enough oh okay so he's not okay not super high on his defensive are you higher on his potential or just like well, it's not hard, it's hard right to now? switch it's hard for any big to switch on a steph curry oh very it's true. hard it's it's hard to switch on to damian lillard like that this isn't hard. This isn't, this is the NBA, man. This isn't like, <laughs> you know, you don't get, you don't get days off. No. Like you, your day off is Shea Gilders Alexander. That's your day off. Yikes. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like, like still so not a walk like, in the park. And that's no, not at all. It's not even <laughs> close. So as a big, if you're switching, right. And that's mm-hmm. what Orlando wants to do. They want to be able to switch more and they want to be able to play a little more aggressively defensively. And that means you have to switch. You sometimes you'll blitz the ball, you know, in the quarter court, things like that. So you know, I just think Jabari's a good fit for them. I think he he's one of those guys. He's also the safest pick out of those three. I know mm-hmm. people say Paolo is, but really he is. He, to me, he's like, because he's not he's not going to mess things up. He's going to come in and add value immediately. Your shooting, your, your shooting is going to go up tenfold. Your spacing increases by, you know, X amount, literally by the time, just by him coming out and walking out on the floor and being able to shoot like he does. I was I was about to ask you about um Paolo being the safest. So I, I I agree. I think Jabari is as well. Um, what about Paolo? What are your kind of thoughts on on Paolo? And I have a question for you on chat. That like people are going, well, he's safe. You know, he's someone that's going to be able to come in and offensively. I, I like his passing as well, but it's much been talked about his passing, his mid range scoring ability, the self creation there. Um, the fact that, I mean, defensively there's some issues or, or con- some concerns, but that whoever gets some kind of slots in and knows what they're getting. I've heard a lot of comparisons like. Uh, Detroit Blake Griffin or like late Clippers Blake Griffin or um, mm. I mean I've heard some for Julius Randle yeah what are your what are your thoughts on general form I don't really have those comparisons in my head but honestly I don't really kind of have a comparison for them yeah I mean the cool thing about all three of these guys they're super unique right um, mm-hmm. so my and again I honestly think Paolo there's a lot of argument he could be number one like there really is he would fit in great in Orlando in my opinion 
I just think is, I think the thing is he just doesn't shoot it. Like you'll hear this a lot when I talk to fellow, you know, player evaluators and whatnot. It's like, Mm -hmm. he just doesn't shoot it well enough. He isn't locked in enough. He isn't, um, he isn't able to switch enough. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. when he takes over, yes. Oh my God. Yes. He, he can play and he's amazing, but he disappears. And then you don't see him and then you wonder where he's at and then he doesn't do anything sometimes to help himself get an easy bucket. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he, there's times, there's times where he's just like, well, I'm struggling. So I'm just going to keep playing the way I play through it rather than saying, you know what? I'm, I haven't played well in the last quarter or last like five, six possessions I can remember. So why don't I go get this offensive rebound, put it back, just see the ball go through the hoop or why don't I, you know, attack, closeouts instead of just attacking a set defense like why don't I try to get something on the other side or tell coach hey let's run this so I can just just help me I'm struggling help me get to you know the free throw line and I can I can get something through I like I think if he learns that how to how to like manipulate the game and 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 like mold the game to help him like those are little minute things that really for him are the difference between him being three and one right now is like he doesn't help himself. Whereas Jabari, he'll shoot himself right out of it. He's such a good shooter. He'll shoot himself out of an issue. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. will just shoot himself. And then Chet, if he's not, if he's not shooting well, well, he's going to try to at least go to the post, even though he's not good at it, but he'll try to get to the pinch <laughs> post to the elbow. He'll flash weak side. He'll get to the short corner. He'll get to the slot. Like he'll do a lot of stuff to try to impact the game or he'll, he'll rebound harder or he'll try to block more shots or he'll try to alter more shots, like, or he'll switch and he'll try to sit in the stance. Like there's just a lot of little stuff that Chet does that he's like, okay, well, I'm not doing well here. So now I'm going to go try this to impact the game, or this is where I'm good today. You know what I mean? I get it. So I, I think that's my biggest thing with, and the thing I've talked to other people about with Paolo is like, he just doesn't help himself, but like, that's the thing. In the NBA, you have to be able to help yourself. Like Steph, Steph has an off night. He's finding out exactly what happened. You know what I mean? And he's saying, okay, I need to make sure. Even if he's off, he still helps himself by moving without the ball, right? Yeah. He just moves without the ball. He's like, oh, shit. Okay, well, oh, excuse my lane, sorry. Oh, you're <laughs> he, says, oh, <laughs> so he says, he'll say, okay, I'm not getting anything front side, pick and roll primary. Secondary ball swing, man, I just can't get anything. I can't get it right. You know what I'm going to do? Let's run some floppy. Let's run some, you know, we'll run some pistol, run some 21, just something to get me without the ball. And now I can come off pin downs and I can off, you know, just something where I can go back to a bread and butter. But he helps himself by saying, okay, well, I tried this. I tried that. And I did it multiple times. Let's try off the ball. Let me see if I can get open doing it this way. Like it's, that's the difference to me. Okay. And again, I'm not trying to compare Paolo to Steph. I'm just using Steph as an example of a guy when he's struggling, he does things to help himself get back on track. Oh, no, most definitely. It's funny you bring that up. And again, the Twitter, Corbin, um, I don't know if you saw this, um, the Drake basketball league thing. Um, no, <laughs> okay, so I mean, you, you probably were better off not seeing it. But um, I guess it was like this league that he won that he actually made. Um, and they won the tournament. He was like, listen, you know, it's like game seven, Kobe. Like I was, my shot wasn't falling. So I decided to stick down and play defense and the ridiculousness of Drake comparing himself, even uh, remotely to Kobe was hilarious. But also, like you said, like, okay, if I'm not being able to impact winning basketball, one aspect, can I go in and funnel it another way? And you brought up Steph Curry in an amazing way in, in comparison to Paolo, which I wasn't even aware of. I, I, I agree with you in terms of like 
just shy of being like the shooter I would like, or just shy of being, you know, whatever player I am looking for. But like you said, like, and this is, I guess, more evaluation, like where is he, you know, okay, how can I compensate for my lack of, you know, offensive impact right now? Am I able to pound the boards more or, or, or whatever the case may be? So no, I think that was really good insight. And I guess at least my last player, um, and this is Chet and, Oh man, the discourse around chat's been so interesting for me, especially, I'm just going to admit, I'm very much a, a very beginner of a scout or an, an analyzer in that type of way. So I definitely don't feel like I'm an authority in any form or fashion on a player. But like, I don't, I haven't liked the discourse. I'm just going to be frank about chat either. I've, I'm one of those people who've had concerns or, or have concern about the frame and how it translates. Not because of anything that, you know, is he any injury history or anything like that, but just like we haven't seen anything like him before. And in my mind, I put this argument, I'm like, listen, like not seeing anything like a player can be a good thing, but like in 75 years of basketball, seeing all the games that are available, all the players around, like if you haven't seen a player like that, like is it at least fair to have questions? <laughs> you know, like is it is it fair to not say, oh yeah, he's going to come and not be able to hold up, which I'm not saying, but is it fair to wonder, is he going to be able to like, sustain like uh, the same type of impact that's my question to you um dan like is he going to be able to bring that same impact that in college and 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 just translate an nba level and be the same type of potential defensive breaker with the three-point shooting from the top and able to bring the ball you know up in the front court at least um for a trailer three I guess that's, I don't even know if that's a question I'm throwing at you, Dan. That's just like a thought, but I'm trying to get like, what are, what are your thoughts on it? Like, what are your thoughts on Chet? I guess that's, that's the summation of my ramble here. Um, so Chet's a unicorn, right? I like unicorns. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not scared of unicorns. Okay. I embrace unicorns, right? <laughs> and he fits, he fits the criteria for me. One, he has an NBA translatable skill to shooting, right? So okay. if anything happens, and I always say when you always want more, obviously you want to be a five tool player, obviously, but mm-hmm. in the NBA, you have to have an NBA skill like JJ Redick. You knew he's going to fly off screens. He's going to come off those double pin downs and he's going to shoot that thing. And you know what, if he's having a bad day, you know, he's at least going to hit 40% of them, right? He's going to hit 40% of those twos at the elbow or at the top of the key. He's going to hit 40%, get himself on track, get him outside the three point line and move on from there. So I, I feel like, with Chet, he checks the box. He has NBA skills, mm-hmm. NBA translatable skills, which I think are his shooting and his passing and his and his rim protection. Right? The everybody's you know because he's awkward. He he honestly his body looks like Sean Bradley. That's what it looks like to me. If you got anybody remember Sean Bradley yeah. and giving you a throwback, <laughs> old school. <laughs> and that's and that's not a good thing. <laughs> but but, um, but that's what it kind of looks like. But I think it's different in the sense that the game is different today. The way it's played is different. It's a less, it's a less violent game. So it's still super physical, but it's a less violent game. So I think that, um, I think he's going to be fine in that sense. What I worry about, I see a lot of Valgus in the left knee. That's when his knee turns in, when he you know goes down or sits in a squat and whatnot. So I worry about the Valgus issue. I worry about knee issues with him, and I worry about. Longevity in the in the sense of is it is he have a seven year career a nine year career? I don't think so. I think he has a pretty good career because I do think you have to have to understand like these strength and conditioning coaches and and the physical therapists for teams are going to be having him do yoga twice a week and he's going to be doing things like strengthening things and maintenance every day and 
and he wants to work. That's the thing. Chet wants to work. So I think for me, he has so many skills. Why not take a chance on him? Like if he fails, he fails. Like that's what you're getting. Right. But his, yeah. his skills are on point. He's, he, he's a super skilled, not super athletic guy, but he's athletic enough and he has good stride. It's just a matter of getting his hips stronger, getting his legs stronger, getting his core stronger. I mean, that, and I can say that honestly about 75% of the prospects in this draft, wow. they got to get stronger. Right. Wow. So it's um, to me, I, I think, I, I don't think OKC can go wrong in the sense of taking him there. I think he fits in well. They have one of the best medical staffs in the league too. And one of the best strength staffs. Like, I just think it's a really good fit for him. I think he's lucky because it's a good fit for him. Okay, it's one of those that work. I like that. I like that, definitely. Um, Looking kind of at the draft outside of just those big three, are there any players that, I don't want to say overrated, but maybe are valued higher than you have them? People are really on the train of, you know, player X, Y, Z, that you're like, hey, that's cool. I like that player, but I'm not sure why we want him to be, like, potential franchise saver for the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I have anybody that I'm, like, that I, I – dislike their game that much that they're up there this draft has a lot of good players oh, that's good that's a good thing <laughs> i would say i say if the, there's a guy that has a shroud of mystery and doubt about him it's shaden mm. sharp um mm. I've, I've seen a lot of number one ranked high school players just go down the drain so everybody says he's the number one he was the number one high school ranked player doesn't mean anything to me i've seen i've seen those guys come and go <laughs> left and right so dime a dozen that, and then, you know, just with how things went down in Kentucky, it's a little bit, eh, you know, I get it. I get it. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, I just think it's going to be hard to, unless you are fully, unless you can fully tell ownership that, like, I'm just going to take this pick and I hope that it works out. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it'd be hard for me to pull the trigger on, on him in the top, uh, probably the top nine, 10 on the Knicks. Yeah. I'll roll the dice, but um, even the wizards I'd roll the dice. I need, I need something to help. So uh, it's gotta be a team that I'll roll the dice on the mystery. That is Shane Sharp in terms of translatable skills, in terms of um, impact and, you know, what kind of career is he going to have? Got you. Got you for sure. For sure. And uh, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, how about sleepers? Like any yeah, thoughts on guys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm the sleepers are the best part, right? <laughs> you know it. <laughs> um, I think, and I'm going to butcher his name, and I'm sorry, but Usman Diang mm. uh, from France. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of his. I think he's going to be. I think he has a chance to be a good player. Um, so that could be a name. Um, ben Matherin isn't really a. That's not a surprise. Um, he's got some steam though. I think in the last couple of weeks for sure though. Like at yeah. least higher than before. He was definitely like top ten. I want to say though, right? Let me let me look at my mock here real quick. Oh yeah, my fault. Mm, for sure. Me, yeah, I, I gotta look at my my mock here. Also, I'm gonna <laughs> All right. definitely make sure to check out um, the mock. No trade clause. I would y'all. say, yeah, I would say. Um, I mean, Dyson Daniels is 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 a surprise guy. I don't think a lot of people knew him knew about him. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he played a whole year in the in the G League. Um. Just going through my list here, who people think would be a surprise. Jeremy Soshin is going to be a surprise for a lot of people. Okay. Um, somebody I'm somebody I'm super not high on is Ty Ty Washington. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. 
Marjan Beauchamp, I like a lot. I don't know that he's a green room invite, but I do think he's going to be all right. I like Nikola Jovic as well. I like him at the end of the first. I think he can actually come in and play. Um, he has, he's a really good passer. I think he's, his skills will be able to, um, oh, translate. to, tra- uh, to transfer. Yeah, translate. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, later later in the draft, Christian Braun, I really like. I, I would think that any team um, from San Antonio to Houston to Miami, I think are would be great places for him. Memphis is another good place for him. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's – I mean, Kendall Brown. Kendall Brown, Wendell Moore. Those are my other two guys. Okay. I'm about to say, are you giving me more than I bargained for? That's a solid group there. All right. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I guess this is kind of the last kind of draft-related question, but uh, given the Pelicans' background that you have, I, I felt I had to ask. Also, I'm really curious because – I mean, look at their recent playoff success. You know, having Caesar McCollum, uh, presumably going to be uh, coming to terms with an extension for Zion Williamson soon. Uh, who knows how it's going to work. But who, with the Pelicans in the draft, holding the eighth pick, who's the best player, in your opinion, available like that you would like them to um, make a make a, a selection for? Um, and is that also a pick that you think should be in play for a trade? I don't know, but I'm already looking at Portland kind of thinking that. I think, like, after four, it's in play. Um, but, like, with a extra focus on Portland at seven is the Pelicans at eight, a pick that you think is also, if not a drafted player in play for a, 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 a certain player. So, uh, so it's twofold. Let's just say they keep the pick, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a bucket, a bucket of players in that pool. It'll be what's left over of Dyson Daniels, O'Shea Ekbaji, AJ Griffin, Ben Matherin, um, I'm missing one guy. Uh, uh, my guy, uh, Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis. I love Johnny yeah. Davis. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Shaden Sharp, right? Okay. That, mm-hmm. gr- that grouping right there, mm-hmm. it'll be one of those guys. Um, I like, I like, from a culture standpoint, I love AJ Griffin. From a shooting standpoint, I love AJ Griffin okay. uh, for them, just for the sheer fact that um, he doesn't demand the ball. And with Zion back, there's not going to be a lot of touches for a new a rookie to come in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think he's not the greatest closeout defender. He does a good job when the ball's stationary, but when the ball's swung and he has to and he has to close out, his feet get a little stuck in cement. But I like him as a, def- a team defender, and I like him as a person. I think he's just a phenomenal guy, and I think he's good for the culture too. There. So if they keep it, I'd be looking at Griffin or Dyson Daniels, another good kid too, Dyson Daniels. Um, I, I personally think they're going to get off of it. I think oh. there's a. Uh, uh, and this is just, you know, I said this last week on the, I think on the, on on a no trade clause um, podcast, but, you know, and I tweeted about it on Friday night as well about uh, number eight and number 12. Um, oops, sorry. Be, being swapped. Um, oh, wow. With OKC. And I'm trying, uh, I've, I've, I've heard it's got good legs and, it could be Soshin that they take at 12. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, that would – that would. I think if I'm them at that point and I don't feel like any of those guys are going to help me win, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I have to think I'm in win mode, right? So I'm, yeah. I'm going to be the sixth seed next year, so fifth or sixth seed most likely, you know, pending injuries. So I'm probably going to be the fifth or sixth seed. I need a guy that can come impact winning right away. So, um, you know, for me, if, it, if it's eight, I like Griffin. 
If Matherin is there, I'm taking Matherin 100%. Um, Keegan Murray will be gone. Ivy obviously will be gone. So <laughs> Dyson Daniels will probably be gone too. So I would, you know, if I have to choose between Griffin, O'Shea Baji, Johnny Davis, and Dyson Daniels, I'm doing, I'm feeling pretty good about where I'm at. Okay. I like that for sure. I mean, that's cool. Even the potential to trade down, but I like, like you said, that where they're sitting with a few of those swing men that can kind of fit a need. I like that. Um, that's what they need. Mm -hmm. need. Oh, for sure. I actually was hoping that they would get one more guy. Um, It's okay. Let me just, before I close this out uh, in terms of the Pelicans specifically, because if you look like, I imagine Herb Jones is definitely started a part of that starting five Zion, Mm -hmm. Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum. Um, is, is CJ, in your mind, like, the guy to play essentially point? I mean, Zion's going to handle the ball, so is Brandon Ingram. But, I mean, in that backcourt, are you getting another guy to play, like, alongside him from, like, a shooting guard perspective? Unless, of course, you get Dyson Daniels, in which I imagine he could kind of be the, the the point guard, if you will. Does it even matter? I, I guess I'm kind of curious. It doesn't matter. Okay. Because, yeah, I, I, think, I think if you're – if you watch enough basketball – not you. I'm just saying. Oh, no, no. Yeah, Someone watches enough in today's NBA. You need multiple ball handlers. Yeah. And the teams that have multiple ball handlers are usually the best teams. Look at, I mean, look at Golden State. Look at Boston. Yeah. Even though Boston turns it over a lot, they're ball, <laughs> they had multiple ball handlers. Um, you look at, you know, Phoenix's big issue was when Booker went out, they only had Chris Paul. They had Cam as well, but like Cam. Yeah. Didn't you know he's not a didn't high level. At all. Yeah. Right. Right. That's what I'm saying. So. Um, Multiple multiple guards. I mean, look at Milwaukee. They could they throw Middleton, Holiday, DiVincenzo when he was there. Mm-hmm. You know, like they were just throwing guys. You know, at the George Hill. Like you know what I yeah. mean? Like they're just, yeah. Giannis. They just throw guys at. You know, Bud just says, "Okay, let's go. We're running this. You got the ball. Let's go." Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's the same approach the Pelicans will do. They have Ingram. They have McCollum. I think you're good with that. Herb Jones can facilitate enough. He's a good enough passer, and he doesn't turn the ball over if you need it. Devontae Graham is a little questionable, but you have uh, <laughs> Alvarado now, who, who did a really good job of not turning the ball over as much. Yeah. So if he can get his turnovers down, I think he's a viable option as well. So, I mean, and Zion can handle it. People forget that Zion <laughs> handled it too. Like, it wasn't like he didn't handle the ball ever. Yeah. How do you think he got you know steals and dunks and highlight <laughs> reels? You know what I mean. It wasn't just because he just jumped high; mm-hmm. it helped. But, <laughs> but yeah. I don't think. Yeah. I, I, listen, I, I think if you're if you're sitting here arguing about who the who the guy is who's going to be dribbling a ball with the Pelicans, you're in a good position because that means if you're arguing is what's CJ going to do that you're in a very good position. Definitely. That's, that's very true. That's very true. I got one more question for you, Dan. Um, this is something I actually, again, I, I keep referencing SBC, but a lot of I, just stuff I enhanced on my basketball understanding happened there. But one funny thing that happened, um, I had my phone I, at the time we were doing a trade discussion and my wallpaper, on my phone was just five players. And so I had, um, just one of the one of the colleagues I was, I was talking to, he's like, oh, who's on your phone? And I was paying attention, but I wasn't really paying attention because we were like, talking about you know what moves are gonna make i was like oh those are like my top five players you know on, on of all not to say of all time but i was like these are my top five players and on my phone um it was a uh wall a wall screen of monte ellis um mm. um russell westbrook terry rozier mm. latrell sprewell and i am missing 
one other player. Um, the point being, I, he it started a, a it literally started a conversation at like Seth Partner was walking by and he came in. Oh, Michael Beasley, and I had to like clear up. Hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say like top five like at all. Like I I did not pay the money to be in this program and try to say that Michael Beasley's one of the top five, but I meant they were like my top five favorite players to watch. Like, these are the kind of guys, I like guys who, you know, have a little personality. Like, I'm not looking for, like, Chris Ball handling. Just put the ball in the bucket. Those are my top five, like, I call it the Hoop Vibe Squad. And I was like, you know what, that's interesting because most people that I run into are like, oh, who are your top five players? Like, you know, we're going to get some, you know, assemblage of Jordan and Magic and LeBron. But, like, no, who are your top five favorite players, you know, like in general? And then you get a more of a diversified response. And I've had a lot of fun asking this question, getting different responses. I've had like uh, all WNBA team. I've had uh, first team, second team, third team. I've had a, a team of all bigs. I know I interviewed um a guy who, I've, oh man, I think it was Matt Brooks. He covers the Brooklyn Nets. But he, or was Brendan Nunez? Anyway, one of them covers either the Nets or the Kings, but they lived in Minnesota. So, or they were from Minnesota. So all their top five were Timberwolves, even though, you know, they are now covering Durant or, you know, Darren Fox. Mm-hmm. So I guess with that, I, I, I say all that to ask you, who are your top five, like, favorite players of all time, Dan? Just watching, analyzing, well, I'm sure it's a fun list. Personally, personally, from a not a basketball it's hard to not have a, a basketball bias, but of course. Um, so I grew up on the Richfield Coliseum Cavaliers. Oh, <laughs> um, so I remember being, you know, I think it was 1988 or nine, maybe I was four or five. Um, I was a very small kid, and I remember <laughs> going to Richfield with my dad, and we played. They played the Utah Jazz. And uh, we were sitting up in, I, I know you don't know Richfield, but it was just a big old, like, basic arena, right? It was okay. pretty big, but it had a super high nosebleeds. We were all the way up in the nosebleeds. And, um, but I always admired those Cavs players, but I would say my five favorite players. Oh, man, that's tough. I got a lot of favorite players. Um, I would say Danny Ferry. Okay. Mark, Mark Price. And not in any order. These are just five guys. Just five, yeah. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal. I, when I was a kid, I had Shaq posters all over my walls. I had. I was part of the Shaquille O'Neal fan club. He sent me a letter. Like it's, it was like the best <laughs> thing as a ten as a ten year old kid. It's like the best thing ever, right? Wow. And uh, so Shaq, one hundred percent, just you know, he was he's like he is now. He's a great dude, but. I mean, I just had posters of Shaq all over my all over my walls. Um, man, that's tough. Penny Hardaway <laughs> probably on there. Okay. Penny, just because because I, I I watched the Magic a lot and I loved him with Shaq and um, Penny's probably on there. And then, man, probably Steph. I mean, Steph's probably on there. I just love watching this, and you know, I hated it when we played him. And they kicked our butt in the playoffs. I hated it, but <laughs> as a fan, as a as just somebody who loves the game and lives for it, I would say Steph. I just it's just the way he plays, man. Everybody wishes they could play that way. Oh, absolutely. I like your I like your starting five. You definitely got uh, dominant big man. You got a lot of floor spacing. I mean, <laughs> just for everyone, it's Danny Ferry, Mark Price, Shaquille O'Neal, Penny Hardaway, and Steph Curry. And that's kind of cool. And again, like like you said, kind of born of 
your 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 upbringing, your your early life in hoops, and then guys you watched more and scouted probably against and stuff. That's really really cool. Wow, Dan, this has been a blast. You didn't see that coming, huh? I did not see, see that coming. See <laughs> the Cavs coming? No, not <laughs> all, all those Cavs guys. <laughs> I I I was close. It was super close between Brad Doherty and Shaq, but oh, wow. um, but Shaq for me. Oh yeah, I, I, you talk about like I was about to put Chris Mills on that. I was so I like that's how <laughs> that's, that's how much I committed. follow those 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 cats. Oh those oh those cats. You're from Cleveland. When you're from Cleveland, you you committed. That's how it works. I feel that. My wow. dad. Uh, funny funny story. Just or not, but not funny. But you know <laughs> how it what it means in Cleveland is. Yeah. My dad is a lifelong Browns, Indians, well Guardians now. And Cavs fan, right? I mean, he is just, he never misses a game. He is always watching it. Um, we used to listen to Joe Tate, who was the Cavs play-by-play guy, rest in peace, Joe. He was by far the best. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, it was just always, we were always watching sports, right? But he lived and breathed it. We would go to the Indians games as much as possible. We'd go to Cavs games as much as possible. Then the Browns left, obviously, in the 90s, so we didn't get to go, but um, he just lives and breathes it, right? And he's just been so close every time to winning. Those Indians teams of the 90s, where we blew that lead against the Marlins in 97. <laughs> wow. 95 got beat by the Braves. Like, yeah, it goes on and on, right? Mm-hmm. My dad lived through the fumble, the you know, all that's the drive, <laughs> the fumble. He, he lived through all that stuff, right? Heard of those. And he, he, even, he even watched Jim Brown. Like, that's how old my dad oh, wow. is. Like, he, he was a kid when Jim Brown was – um, playing for the Browns. The so, um, so when the Cavs won it in 2016, was it yeah, that was it. 16, you had it, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 16. In fact, today is actually the, the anniversary of that. I guess Father's Day when they yes, won the three-one. Wow. Yes, they, yes, they did. When LeBron <laughs> had the block. Yep. And um, and uh, he, I've never seen the man shed a tear or cry, and he. I was on the phone with him and he was crying. It was dead silent. And you just hear weeping. You just hear him start to weep that, oh my God, we did it. Like he, you could tell he was actually crying. Wow. So that's what it means to be a Cleveland fan. Like that is like a, a man who has no affiliation <laughs> whatsoever <laughs> in terms of like, like connections or things like that. It's just pure love for sports and pure love for Cleveland. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's you know and that's where i come from is guys who are just they there's a there's something inside their soul that that it, it turns you know so yeah it really and that's so, i love that like it, it really gets that visceral kind of reaction from it yeah wow that's a sport that's the beauty of sports right there real talk real talk wow Dan, this has been an amazing conversation just a great time i thank you uh for this time and just being able to just talk hoops with you, man. It's really been a great privilege. Um, I know folks can find you at um, I am underscore. Wait, I totally had that. I think it was I am underscore Dan P. Did I say that right? Yep. Oh, perfect. Look at that. Off off the dome. Um, but I know you also do. I mean, you've done so many podcasts. Obviously, SBC um, work, of course, uh, with the No Trade Clause. Do you want to like tell everyone like that's kind of where they can find you, but just everything that you're kind of up to? Yeah, sure. Obviously, uh, Twitter, I am underscore Dan P. Uh, Instagram is D-P-R-U-W-M as in man at the end. Um, and then you can check me out. No Trade Clause. Listen to any of the No Trade Clause podcasts. Those are SBC alumni who have built their own website and built their own brand. 
Um, they are some of the smartest, most hardworking guys in the, in the business and they're hungry and they want to, I mean, you probably know some of those guys and, um, and they're just great dudes on top of it and they work their tails off and anything I can do to help obviously former students, but people who want it. Um, we do podcasts every week. Uh, you'll see me on no ceilings. Uh, we're doing a webinar on, uh, we're actually doing a draft webinar on the 22nd, I believe the day before the draft. And we're going to go over the draft with, uh, It'll be Ryan McDonough, a former GM of the Suns, uh, Seth Partnow, formerly of the Bucks, and myself. And we will be going over the NBA draft for free. It's just uh, go to sportsbusinessclassroom.com. If you guys want to sign up, it's totally free. Come on in. Give away free alpha. Wow. There it is. Definitely make sure to do that, John. It's a great opportunity, um, not only just to learn, but also you heard it. So thanks again, Dan. I really do appreciate you, man. Um, again, y'all can follow me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. Pretty simple, y'all. Um, definitely stay tuned for this and more conversation. We're getting close to the draft. Got a lot of more fun stuff coming up. Off season's there. Summer league soon. Really excited for all of that. But for Dan, for myself, we are Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty, and I will talk to y'all real, real soon. This has been a Sports Ethos presentation.